excited about today. It's been an incredible, incredible start of the year. We wrapped up last week our focus series. Come on, it's been one of my favorite series that we've done as a church. And uh, excited about focus. If you weren't here, you can catch up on our YouTube or on a podcast. But I really believe it's one of the most important series that we did as a church. I, I pray that you didn't miss one. And, and I pray that you catch up because it was extremely, extremely important. Today, we're starting a brand new mini series. Two weeks called The Blessed Life. Somebody say The Blessed Life. The ble Look at your neighbor and tell them The Blessed Life. <laughs> Come on, can we welcome everybody in additional seating, by the way? Everybody that's joining us back there, we thank you so much for always being faithful, no matter if there's room in the auditorium or not, you're still there and you're still part of the church. I love it. The Blessed Life, there's going to be a two-week mini-series. We're going to talk about two important, important topics this Sunday and next Sunday. Don't miss them. I really believe that what we're talking about today and next Sunday is going to help us in our journey with Jesus, and it's going to help us in life. I'm not talking about a wealthy life. I'm not talking about uh, a life full of health and you're never going to get sick. I'm not talking about a problem-free life. That's not a blessed life. How many know you can go through some trials, you can go through some problems, and still remain blessed? Come on, somebody. You still can. And so I think the two topics we're talking about are extremely, extremely important. And then after that, we have Vision Sunday. After that, we have uh, one week where we'll be talking about another topic, and then we begin a seven-week series around the seven I Am statements of Jesus, and that's going to lead us right into Easter Sunday. Come on, somebody. We got an amazing few weeks coming up in church life, and so don't miss it. 2019 is becoming quickly one of my favorite years, and uh, I love it. I'm excited for it. Amen? Why don't you grab your Bibles, go to the book of Haggai. Today we're beginning on the blessed life, the blessed life. And I really believe these are extremely important weeks, these next two, as we talk about how to have a blessed life. Go to the book of Haggai, and uh, it's a small, small book in the Old Testament. Very small book. It only has two chapters. In my Bible, it's all on one page. And if you can't find it, come on, there's no shame in the game. Go all the way to the table of contents in the front. And uh, look at what, what page is it? Some people are looking all over the place. If you're in Genesis, skip forward. If you're in Revelation, reverse. Haggai. In my Bible, it's page 630. If you have my Bible, 630. And uh, if you have a different Bible, I don't know what page. 620 in yours. There you go. 620, 630. So it looks like it's in the 600s. Anybody else? Is it in the 600s? Nobody else. Only me and you, Taryn. So 600, a few more. 800. Okay, so I mean, just try to find it wherever it is, but just try to find it. Small, small book. Hey, I want you to look at your neighbor and tell him you look amazing this morning. Come on, 11 a.m. Come on, why don't you look at your neighbor and tell him to smile this morning? Tell him to smile. Tell him they look good. Look at, number, look at neighbor number two on the other side and tell him you actually look thinner than last year. Come on, that's a good compliment. You've slimmed down, you look good. 11 a.m., we got some good-looking people in our church. All right, Haggai, <laughs> the blessed life. Okay, now, now let me give you a little bit of context of what's happening in the book of Haggai. Haggai is a prophet. His name is Haggai, and uh, his book is considered to be one of the minor prophets because it's a small, small book. Haggai is a prophet, and and he's speaking to the people of God in a difficult time because the people of God, remember, they, they were exiles at one point. They, in fact, they were living in their hometown, but because they were disobedient to God, Babylon came in and literally took them and ripped them out of their homeland, took them to Babylon. They lived in Babylon 70 years. After 70 years, they're allowed to go back now to their home city. And so they're back in their home city, and they begin to rebuild the city. They begin to rebuild the temple and the walls around Jerusalem. After a while, they get a little tired, and they begin to get a little bit lazy, and they stop worshiping God. Haggai is a prophet, and he comes to speak to them, and here's the bottom line of Haggai. Hey, get your priorities in order. Get your priorities in order. Your priorities are out of order. These next two weeks, we want to talk about order, right? And so Haggai's telling the people, get your priorities in order. Look at your neighbor and tell them, look, get your priorities in order. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, Haggai chapter 1, gave a little bit of context. Now, we're just going to read about three verses, and look what Haggai says. In Haggai chapter 1, beginning in verse 5, it says this. 
Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. How many know that's good advice right there? Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but you've harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're never warm. And you earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Give careful thought to your ways. Around Haggai chapter 1 and these few verses. Uh, around these little two-week series. Today I want to begin with this teaching. And, and I've kind of titled it First Place. First Place. I want to talk about First Place place. We're talking about order. We're talking about priorities. And I believe these next two weeks are extremely important for all of us as we understand how we can live a blessed life. Come on, why don't we close our eyes, bow our head, and let's ask God to bless us and help us this morning to understand his word. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness, for your grace. Thank you for another beautiful Sunday morning in the best city in the world, Miami, Florida, God. And uh, thank you for your grace toward us. God, uh, right now, I thank you for everything that's happening around this church. God, as so many people today are going to get connected into a connect group, and I just love that. I pray that today people find uh, family, friends, somewhere where they can belong to, God, that the entire church will be able to get plugged into a connect group, God, that they would realize that church is more than just attending, but we're a family that does life together. And, and I pray that today they will find somebody to lead them, help them, pray over them, and, and uh, develop friendships. This is really where roles become circles. Thank you that we're about to launch connect groups next week, and this week we're, we're going to go out. I pray that after service, everybody would find a connect group where they can belong. God, if anybody walked in today discouraged, if anybody walked in with their head down, God, more than anything, I pray for healing in their souls today, God. I pray that you would heal their souls. I do believe that you're going to heal people through your word today, God, and that your Holy Spirit is going to do something amazing and beautiful in our midst. God, we thank you for this day. We love you. We give you all the honor and all the praise and all of God's people say. Amen. Oh, come on. All of God's people say. Amen. Can you give Jesus one more praise? Come on. With all you got. Come on. Big, big praise. Anybody in here, do, do you know somebody that always has a messy room? Do you know somebody that always has a messy room? Hands went up all over this service. Okay. Messy room. Come on. Any parents that have kids that have messy rooms? <laughs> people are pointing at other people. This is amazing. Messy room. I, I, wouldn't, I, I wouldn't say our room is necessarily messy, just, just, just life gets busy sometimes. Anybody know what I'm talking life, about? Life gets busy. It's just that life gets busy. The other day, um, I, I couldn't find my wallet. I couldn't find my wallet, and I think there's nothing worse than losing your wallet or your phone. <laughs> and uh, I couldn't find my wallet anywhere, and, and, and this doesn't have to happen to me too much. But, but when it does, I go crazy because I, I, I feel like I always know where my wallet is. I always got it on me, and... And so I got a good handle on it, but I lost my wallet and I couldn't find it anywhere. And, and I knew the last place that I had it was in my room. I knew that. Um, but, but I was looking all over the place for it and I couldn't find it. And, and that particular day, our room was, was messy. It was busy, busy. It was a busy, busy, busy room and busy day. And so I couldn't find my wallet anywhere. I'm looking through different jeans. I'm like, where is my wallet? I thought I had lost it. And and finally, probably after an hour or so, I, I finally found my wallet in my room, right? And I just think the same is true across life, that many times it's not that we don't have something, it's that we can't find it. Many times it's not that we don't have certain things, it's that we cannot find them. This week and next week, I, I want to talk about two topics. I want to talk about our time, and I want to talk about our money. I want to talk about our time and I want to talk about our money. These are two different things that I think more than not having them, a lot of times is that we don't have order in them. And so we think we don't have them. We're, 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 we, we don't have order in our time, in our schedule. We don't sleep right. We don't handle our time correctly. We don't have order in our money, in our finances, and we handle them wrong. And, and I just believe that if you want to live a blessed life, there needs to be some order, especially when it comes to your time and to your money. 
If you want to live a blessed life, it's not about being rich. It's about having order in your finances. If you want to have a blessed life, it's not about having more hours than anybody else. It's about having order in your schedule. Right? And so I really believe what we need is wisdom. Somebody say wisdom. What we need is wisdom. I think a lot of us, we have knowledge, but there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is having information. Wisdom is knowing what to do with the information. Right? And so we need some wisdom when it comes to our time and when it comes to our money. Look what the Bible says in Psalm chapter 90, verse 12. It says this, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Psalmist there is saying, teach me to number my days. We don't don't have a lot of days on this earth. In fact, God already knows how many days he's given us, right? I'll tell you this, you're closer to death this week than you were last week. I pray that encourages you, and I pray you have an amazing rest of your Sunday. God bless you. (laughs) It's like, wait, what? (laughs) Right? Like, think about it this way. A hundred years from now, none of us are going to be here pretty sobering, right? It's just like, whoa, we don't have a lot. So what he's trying to say is, since you don't have a lot, make sure you have wisdom in the days that you do have. You need wisdom. The thing is, a lot of times when we think we have an unlimited amount of things, we misuse it. But when we understand we have a limited amount of something, we usually manage it better, right? And so we need to learn, whoa, I don't have a lot. What am I doing with what God has given me, right? Number our days so I may gain a heart of wisdom. This is why it's extremely important how you spend your time and your money and what you do with your time and your money, right? That'll show what's most important in your life. In fact, if, if I were to ask somebody, what's, what's most important in somebody's life in here? If I were to say, what is most important in Ray's life? It's very easy. All somebody has to do to know what's most important in your life is to say, okay, what do they spend the most amount of time in and what do they spend the most amount of money in? That is the most important things in your life. What are you spending the most amount of money in and what are you spending the most amount of time in? For, for some of us, the most amount of money is Chipotle. I'm just, I'm just being honest, right? Like, this is really important. This is a strong amen from Phil. We love it. And most of our money is going to Chipotle, right? What, what are you spending the most amount of your money on? What are you spending the most amount of your time on, right? right? Maybe for some of us it's Facebook and Instagram, and, and we're, we're more on Facebook and on Instagram than we are with our own kids, right? What's most important to you is what you spend the most amount of time on and what you spend the most amount of money in. What, what's, what's important to you? What are you spending on? This, this is extremely important to God. It's extremely important. Time and money. Today, today I'm going to focus on one of those two. Today, we're going to talk about money. Somebody say money. money. Now, as soon as I said that, alarms started going off everywhere. People started grabbing their wallets, and people started looking for the exits. Like, this is the bad day to come to church, and I'm out of here, right? Like, like I, I, don't want you, I don't want you to get alarmed. In fact, I'll put it this way. We, we don't want anything from you. We don't want anything from you. In fact, I'll put it this way. We want something for you today. We want something for you. Right? I, I'll put it this way. God doesn't want to take your money. God doesn't want to take your money. He just wants to make sure your money doesn't take you with it. That's basically what God wants. Right? What God wants is your heart. God doesn't want necessarily your money. What he wants is your heart. And so people get all uptight when it comes to money. But, but why God is really interested in money is because more oftentimes than not, money is really connected to the heart of man. Right? It does something where it grips our heart, it grips our soul, and it does something where our possessions and our money, it, it owns us more than we know. And so, so with God, there's a real clear barometer for him that money shows him our heart. Our possessions and how we spend our money shows him our heart. And so that's why God is, is very interested in how you spend your finances, very interested in how you spend your income because it shows where your heart is. In fact, it shows where your worship is. I'll say it that way. Right. That's why Jesus all throughout the Gospels, he talked a lot about money. In fact, Jesus, he would share these stories. They were called parables. Parables is just another word for stories. And 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 out of the four Gospels, Jesus shared 38 stories in the four Gospels, 38 stories out of the 38 stories or parables that Jesus shared. 14 of them had to do with money or finances, 14 of them. Right. That's that's basically almost half of all the parables had to do with time and money. 
In the Bible, there's 500 verses on prayer. And on money, there's over 2,000 verses on finances or income. This is important to God. Right? Because God knows that, that man and women, we, we love possessions, we love money, it's the way the world works, and if we're not careful, we'll, we'll forget God, and we'll start serving money, we'll start serving our finances, and we'll bow down to our income, and God is saying, wait a minute, I'm just using this to bless you so that you can be a blessing to others, not for you to be a slave to it, not for you to worship it, I'm, I'm the one blessing you with it. What we need to understand is that a lot of us, we, we are in trouble when it comes to this area in our life. We, we are completely out of order when it comes to this. If you're in here today and you're not out of order when it comes to your finances or your money, God bless you. And, and I pray you can help other people get in order. But, but the truth is most of Americans have a problem when it comes to their finances. Let's put it this way. Our country has a problem when it comes to our finances. We're in debt. All right. And so imagine Americans. In fact, I'll add to that. Most Christians or most believers are in trouble when it comes to their finances. We're, we're in some serious trouble when it comes to debt. And when it comes to finances, they are all out of order. If you don't believe me, I, I got a couple statistics. I just want to show you. We're going to put them up on the screen. And, and this just shows where we are as a nation. Right. And it says that 72 percent of Americans, they're stressed out at least some of the time during the past month about their finances. Can't sleep, can't eat. I'm thinking about how am I going to pay the rent? How am I going to pay all, all these bill collectors are calling me and they don't leave me alone. I, I just tell them I'm not home. And then they just keep hanging up. But they keep calling. You're stressed out. 70%, 76% of American households are living paycheck to paycheck. 70, almost 80% of the people probably in this room, you, you don't have a savings account. You don't have nothing for the future. You're just living paycheck to paycheck, that, that can stress us all out. And I think maybe we've all been there. 25% of Americans have no savings account, right? A quarter of all Americans have no savings account. 80% of Americans are in debt. We owe something to somebody. 62.4% of Americans have credit card debt, right? Whether it's to a Visa, MasterCard, Capital One, don't leave home without it, Amex, right? All those things. Only 30% have a long-term financial plan for their life. Only 30%. That means there's 70% of Americans that don't know what's going to happen once they retire, once they get older in age and can't work. They don't, they don't have a plan. Only 30% of the people have a plan for their finances. Americans owe $1 trillion in credit card debt. We owe $1 trillion in credit card debt. Americans owe $1.2 trillion in educational debt, school loans and whatnot. We, we have a money problem in our country. We have a money problem in our life, right? We are in debt, and it's consuming us, and it's becoming a burden in our life. When you owe so much money, you can't live a blessed life because you got bill collectors calling you. You can't sleep at night. There's no plan for your future. There's no emergency fund if something happens, and you're always living stressed out. Or I'll put it this way, you're living stressed out, right? You're always stressed out because it's hard to live without money. You can't live a blessed life without money. You can't. And so you always feel like you're enslaved. That's why it's called MasterCard. It's your master. <laughs> I don't know. The Bible tells me I only have one master. His name is Jesus Christ. I only serve him. and No plastic is going to be my master. Right? But how many of us are, are slaves to these cards? How many of us are, are slaves to a car we can't afford, a house we can't afford, and, and paying for phones for four, five, six different people in our family when they shouldn't even have a phone? I didn't even have a beeper until I was 18. And now at 13, they got phones and Instagram and whatnot. And I'm just a hater right now, okay? Don't judge me. But we got things we can't afford, and it leaves us living in debt. We got a money problem in our nation. We got a money problem in our life. You can't be that beneficial to God's kingdom and everything he wants to do in your life if you're constantly stressed about money. God, and I, can I just tell you, God did not create us to live this way. Like God did not create humanity for you to always be stressed out about money, for you always to be in debt, for you always to be thinking, God, what am I going to do? God, this is not God's plan for humanity to live in debt, right? I really believe that God wants you debt-free. In fact, look what the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7. It says this, the rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is a slave to the lender. The borrower is always going to be a slave to the lender. In other words, he's saying don't borrow because every time you borrow, you're going to become a slave. 
Right? Look what the Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 12. It says, the Lord, he'll open up the heavens, the storehouses of his bounty to send rain on your land and in season to bless all the work of your hands. You'll lend to many nations, but you will borrow from, from none. God says, don't borrow. He said, I'm going to bless Israel so much that they won't have to borrow. In fact, they'll be lending to other nations, right? God's plan was never for us to be in debt. And as a society, we are in big trouble when it comes to our finances. And we're not living a blessed life when it comes to our money. Now, I do believe there's seasons in your life where you might have to get a small loan or do something. And, and again, if you have discipline in that area, that's fine. But a lot of us, we don't have discipline, and so we end up in credit card debt. I talked to one lady one time. I shared this last week where she told me, Alex, help me. I was working at this place where one of the things they did was credit card consolidation. And, and she told me, Alex, can you help me? She said, uh, I have $95,000 in debt in credit card debt. $95,000 in credit card debt. And I was like, what have you been buying? Like, <laughs> before we fix it, can you buy me something? Before we get this straight, I'm just saying that's a whole lot of money, right? $95,000 in debt. I just really believe that's not God's plan for your life. That's not God's plan for my life. God wants you to be free. God, I'm not saying that a blessed life is a rich life. I'm not saying that a blessed life is a wealthy life. You don't have to be rich to live a blessed life. You can have an average income and still have a blessed life. I'll put it to you this way. A blessed life is not a wealthy life. A blessed life is a wise life. A blessed life is a wise life. What are you doing with what God has placed in your life? Can I tell you? Because all the money that we have anyways, it's not ours. It comes from God. <laughs> it's not ours. In fact, I'll, put, I'll say it this way, and, and this might burst their bubble a little bit. In here, none of us are owners. We are all stewards. Now, one person in here is an owner of their money, is an owner of anything. Everything that we have is because God has freely given it to us. But he's the owner. We're just managing it for him. Right? God is the one, and he wants to be first place in everything in your life. Listen to me clearly. He wants to be first place in everything in your life because it belongs to him. It belongs to him. The money you have belongs to him. The marriage that you're in belongs to him. The kids that you have belongs to him. The house that you're in belongs to him. The car that you drive belongs to him because he created all of it. What do you mean? God didn't create my Chevy. <laughs> he created the metals that made your Chevy be able to come to pass. Right? God created everything in this world. He's the owner. And as the owner, he's just saying, I'm giving this to you as a steward. And it raises up the question, then, am I a good steward? Steward is just another word for a manager. Am I a good manager? Right? Like it made me think, like, whoa, wait a minute. And do I have my priorities in order? Am I a good manager or am I not a good manager? Because I'm managing a whole lot of stuff for God. I'm telling you today, you're managing a whole lot of stuff for God. And we serve a jealous God who says, I just want to be first. And if you put me first, I will bless the rest of it. Put me first and foremost. I want, I want to talk about money and and I want to talk about a principle in money. And, and maybe as I say that, some of you are already like, oh, okay, here we go. He's going to talk about the tithe. He's going to talk about the 10%. I've heard this so many times. And, and listen, that's not what I'm talking about, right? And I think we've had a lot of maybe some pastors or some churches really do a disservice to it when it comes to money. And that's why people are scared. That's not what we're talking about today. In fact, the principle I'm going to talk to you about is it's not about the tithe. The tithe comes in at the Mosaic Covenant. I want to talk to you about something 2,500 years before the Mosaic covenant something since the beginning of time and it's called the principle of first the principle of first I want you to write that down the principle of first right I want, to, I want to teach you for a quick second if I can I just want to teach you a little bit about something about the Bible and if you know this help me out if you don't maybe this will help you understand something in the Bible we have three different time eras or three different dispensations what it means is how God dealt with humanity in three different ways. God doesn't change, but he talks and deals with humanity in different ways, right? They're called three dispensations. The first one is from creation to Moses or from Genesis to Moses. The second one is from Moses to Jesus. And the third one is from Jesus to our modern day. Three, three different times. Is this, everybody understand this? Three different time eras or three different dispensations, meaning the way God dealt with humanity. In all three, you're going to see this principle called the principle of first. 
The principle of first. The tithe that usually people talk about comes in the second dispensation, which is under Moses. That's not what I'm talking about today. I'm going to explain that in just a moment. What I'm talking about is a principle since the beginning of time. We'll start with the first one. From creation to Moses, all the way from the creation of Moses, from Genesis to Moses. There's two types of giving that are shown in all three, right? Two things that you can do with the money that God has given you. What can you do? Well, in all three, we read about required giving, and then we read about free will giving. It's the money that God has given us. What do we do with it? Well, the Bible tells us two things we can do with it. From creation of Moses, it starts with free will, meaning you can give God whatever you want. You can give God whatever you want as long as he's first. Right? This is what we see. Look what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4, verses 2 through 5, it says, Now Abel kept flocks. These are the sons of Adam and Eve. It says Abel and Cain, right? Abel was, was a shepherd. He kept flocks. He had little sheep <laughs> all over him, right? And, and it says, Abel kept flocks, and Cain, he worked the soil. Cain was a farmer. He worked out in the field. And it says, In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, but look what Abel brought. He brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. Remember, there's, there's the beginning of time. These are the sons of Adam and Eve. There's no required giving. We're not talking about a tithe. We're not talking about none of that. The required giving. Give God whatever you want. What happened here? Well, it's pretty clear that if you read in Scripture, it says Cain... Cain brought some of his crops, like just some. It says Cain brought some of his crops. What did Abel bring? It says Abel brought the firstborn of what he was looking over. He says, God, you deserve the first and the best. Oh, I know, I know we're not in Eden anymore, but, but you kept my mom and my dad, and you blessed me and my brother. And because you blessed us, out of all my little sheep, I'm going to give you the, not, not the worst one, not the skinny-looking one, not the little runt. I'm going to give you the first and the best. And here we see the principle of first. Cain brought an offering that was just like the leftovers. Like, ah, I'm going to eat some corn today. I'm gonna, this corn looks good. I'm going to give God some, give God some of these leftovers. <laughs> In fact, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, it says, Now Abel gave by faith an excellent offering before God. The first, you give God the absolute first and best. Now, all throughout this first time era, from creation to Moses, you see different free will offerings. In other words, God did not demand you to give him anything. God says, give what you want. Abel and Cain gave. It says, after some time, Noah came. Remember, there was a flood when, when Noah gets off the boat. He's like, dry ground. God, you're good. And so he gives him an offering, free will. After that, Abraham comes in the picture later on in Genesis, and it says Abraham gave free will offerings to God and just thank God for blessing him. In fact, in Genesis chapter 14, it says Abraham, he goes to war. It's five kings versus four, and the four defeat the five. Abraham is in that mix. On the way home, he's so blessed. He's like, I can't believe we beat all these bad kings, and he takes a bunch of spoils from the war. On the way home, he runs into this one king that helped him out in battle. His name is Melchizedek. Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek is a weird king because it says he's king of Salem. Salem back in the day was a Hebrew word for Jerusalem. He's the king of Jerusalem. In fact, the first king of Jerusalem, he's not only a king. The Bible says in the book of Genesis, he was a king and a priest. And Abraham says, thank you so much for helping me in war. In fact, because you helped me in war, look at all that I got from the war. I'm going to give you a tenth of what I want in the war. Just as a thank you. It's not required. Abraham decided to give him a tenth. Right. And in fact, right there in the book of Genesis, when it says a tenth, it literally means a tenth off the top. I give you the very, very best for helping me out in the war. So he gave him a tenth. And, and, and this is weird because this is not to God. This is to a king who's also a priest. Many scholars believe this king and priest that is very weird. Nobody knows where he came from in the book of Genesis was a Jesus Christ type figure in the Old Testament. In fact, when he meets Abraham, he comes with wine and he comes with bread. What do we take when we take communion? Wine and bread. He's a type of Jesus in the Old Testament figure. Abraham is saying thank you and he gives him a tenth, right? All this is free. You, you, you don't have to give God any required amount. Free will offering. God, thank you. You blessed me. Here it is. Ten is just a figure that people use because it represents the whole of something. Right? Ja Jacob then is Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Abraham and Isaac are already dead. Jacob is now running through the through, through all of Israel and it says one time he's sleeping while he's sleeping a ladder comes down from heaven he sees angels going up and down everybody remember that story and it said he wakes up and he says surely God is in this place this is God's presence 
If you keep on reading way down at the bottom, it says that Jacob says, Well, God, if you bless me and if you stay with me, I will give you a tenth of everything you give me. Free will. He's just saying, You're, God, you are so good. I'm going to give you the first and the best. You've been so good to me. It was not required. The first required giving that we ever hear about is in Genesis chapter 41, where all the way down the line, Joseph is in Egypt. Everybody remembers Joseph? Joseph is in Egypt. Pharaoh has a bad dream. In fact, Joseph is in prison. He says, who can interpret this dream? Joseph says, I can interpret it. He says, I had seven fat cows and seven skinny cows in my dreams. He goes, it's easy. There's going to be seven years of a lot of food and seven years of little food. Famine. This is what you're going to do. During the seven years of the fat cows, collect a fifth of everybody that lives in the land. Required giving. The first time we ever hear about required giving. In other words, what's a fifth? 20%. Collect 20% from it. Basically, it was the first income tax, basically, that ever, we ever see in the Bible. It wasn't an offering. It was like a tax on the people. That's from creation to Moses. Everybody understanding this? The second time period, the second time era is from Moses all the way to Jesus. What do we see from Moses to Jesus? We see a bunch of free will offerings. We see a bunch of first fruits offering. And then we see some required giving. This is where the tithe begins. We see free will offerings. In other words, when they come out of Egypt and they're going through the desert, they stop and, and Moses is like, God wants us to build them a temple. Whoever wants to give, give an offering. Kind of like a heart for the house. And it says that the people gave so much that Moses, after a day, had to stand in front of the people and said, everybody stop giving because the people gave out of the abundance of their heart because God was first and best in their life. They said, you brought us out of Egypt. You brought us out of slavery. You saved us from Pharaoh. How could we not bless you? How could we not give you everything that we have? Thank you, God. And they gave and gave and gave. And Moses is like, stop giving. You've given too much. Read it. Exodus 25. Moses is like, you've given too much. Imagine saying that to people. Stop giving. You're giving too much. All throughout Exodus, you see free will offerings. People come and they give God whatever they want out of their own heart. Right? Sometimes they would give the firstborn of their, just like Abel, they would give the firstborn out of all their animals. Why? Because they said, God, you killed the firstborn in Egypt. You killed Pharaoh's son and all the firstborn males. In remembrance of that, we're going to sacrifice her firstborn males. Because you saved us from slavery, this is a sacrifice to you to say thank you for saving us because you killed the first one. God, now we sacrifice the first one. And so they will cut a lamb's throat and they will say, God, this is to you. It was their way of doing a free will offering to God. Now, when we get to Leviticus, now we have required giving in the Bible. God establishes an order for the nation of Israel. And this is where the tithe comes in, the Mosaic tithe. Right? Leviticus 27 talks all about the tithe, and it was 10% that they were required to give to help fund the nation of Israel and to help fund the temple of God. 10%, but it wasn't just 10%. Hold on. If you really read the Bible, on top of the 10%, there was another 10%. In Deuteronomy chapter 12, there was a separate 10% that they had to bring. How much is that? 10 plus 10. Come on, we could do simple math here. Come on, 10 plus 10? 20. They had to bring 10, 20%. But wait a minute, there's more, <laughs> right? In, in Deuteronomy chapter 14, it was called the poor man's tithe, and they literally had to give it to help out the poor. And that means every three years, they had to give an additional 10%. Split between three, three years, that means a 3% a month. The people of God had to bring 23%, but it was, it was called the tithe, but it was really the nation's way of taxing. And so what happens is, a lot of us, we think this is what God requires. I'm going to say something that probably some pastors wouldn't want me to say. I'm going to say something that maybe some pastors, some people would say, don't say that. But I think it might help you and it might free you. All right? Listen to what I'm going to tell you. You and I do not have to pay this Mosaic tithe. We are not under the Mosaic covenant. We don't live as Jews did in Israel and have to fund the nation of Israel. Right? We, me and you do not have to pay this Mosaic tithe. Right? So when people say bring your tithe, if they're talking about the Mosaic tithe, it wasn't 10%, it was actually 23%, and that does not, God does not require that of you and me. We're not living under the Mosaic law. Okay, so, so what, what, what does it pertain to you and me? With the money that God has given us, what does it pertain to you and me? Well, now let's go to the third dispensation or the third time era from Jesus all the way to modern day. What were they required to give and what was the free will? Well, when Jesus is around, it says that the people of God still had to pay their tithes. But their tithes were like their taxes. And on top of that, they were oppressed by Roman government. Remember, they were under Rome. 
And so they tried to trick Jesus one time and they said, hey, should we give to Rome or should we give to God? And what does he say? Give to Caesars what's to Caesars and give to God's what's to God. In other words, pay your taxes, <laughs> right? Pay your taxes and then give God whatever else you want, but pay your taxes. He's saying, be a good citizen. In fact, if you read Romans chapter 13, Paul says, I want you to be good citizens and pay your taxes. Not a lot of us say amen to that. <laughs> it's funny, the nation of Israel had a 23% tax, basically, or tithe that they had to get to the nation. Today, as Americans, most of us pay anywhere between 25 to 30%. Right? It was a tax system that was invented by God and designed by God. And so they had to keep paying their taxes. And then give to God whatever you want. Okay, so what do we give to God? Well, if you read in the New Testament, from the money he's given us that belongs to him, it actually shows that they gave over and above anything they could. They, they gave everything that they could. They said, God, this, this all belongs to you. God, God, we're going to give you out of what we don't have. This money is not mine. I'm not an owner. I'm only a steward. And it says that the new church in, in, in the book of Acts, it says they sold possessions and they used to bring everything to God's house. Right? It, it wasn't 10%. It wasn't a tithe. In fact, if you look back, maybe through the different eras, 10% might sound like a good starting point, but many of them gave 20, 30, 40, 50% over and above because all they're saying is, God, you don't deserve my last. You don't deserve the rest. You deserve the first and you deserve the very best. You're the God who's given me life. You're the God who's given me oxygen in my lungs. You're the God who's given me salvation. You're the God who died for me. Oh, come on. And you resurrected on the third day. How can I not put you in first place? And so they used to give over and above. Look, look what Paul says. As Paul, Paul never taught the tithe and neither did Jesus. But look what they did teach. They taught generous giving and generous living. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 5. It says, and now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given Macedonian church. Paul is saying this. Look at this church in Macedonia. It says, oh, my God, in the midst of a severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. They didn't have anything. They were poor. They were so poor they couldn't afford the O and the R at the end. They were poor, right? And it says, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Oh, so, so it wasn't 10%? No, no, they, they gave beyond their ability. Entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations they gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us first to God 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 has first place in my life and because he has first place in my life he owns everything that I have verse 7 but since you excel in everything in faith in speech in knowledge in complete earning earnestness and in the love that has kindled in you see that you also excel in this grace of giving God God right there is talking to the church in Corinth through Paul, and he says, look at the Macedonian churches. They've been generous even when they haven't had anything. Out of the poverty they gave, and he's saying, Corinthians, the church in Corinth, you're amazing. You do amazing stuff, but you're not excelling in your giving. You're not putting God first. The principle of first is seen all throughout Scripture. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul, Paul continues to talk to the church in Corinth, and he says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows generously will also reap generously each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a you know what happens with the 10% or the tithe that we talk about sometimes many people for some they'll say well I, I can't give 10% so they never give well I can't give it and for others it becomes just a check mark to say I did it I got it over and done with and God's like, if you're going to give me the tithe that way, I don't want your tithe. In fact, I won't receive it that way. You're just like, here, God, I'll give you this. And God's like, I don't want that. I want a cheerful giver, not because somebody's telling them to give, but because it comes from their heart saying, God, what I have belongs to you. It comes from your heart. I'm just a steward. And God is able to bless you abundantly. Well, what happens if I give God a little bit more than I've been giving? Well, God's going to be able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Oh, but if I give God a little bit more money, I'm not going to have enough for, you know, I need some Starbucks every day. <laughs> oh, if I give God a little bit more money, I'm not going to have enough for, you know, taking out so-and-so every single day. Well, how about if we just put order in our finances and say, I want to live a blessed life. And first and foremost in my life is God because he's the owner of all things. God say he's going to bless you abundantly, more than you could imagine. He's going to take care of you. God's going to look out for you. 
When we give, it, it, it really does something in God's heart when you give generously. I want to I tell you three things and, and we'll begin to wrap up. Number one, write this down. Every single time you and I, we give from what God has given us, number one, it honors God. It honors God. That's why Proverbs says, honor God with your first fruits. Every single time you give, every single time you release with generosity, it honors God. It honors God. You're saying, God, you're first in my life. The first commandment says, have no other gods before me. Saying, God, you're first. Well, does God have an ego problem? No. But the Bible does say he's a jealous God. Why? Because he knows what's good for you and what's not. And many of us are serving other idols that will destroy our lives, will destroy our purpose, and will destroy our destiny. And God's saying, but if you put me first and if you put no other idols, I have the power to bless you. I have the power to take care of you. I will, I will watch out for you all the days of your life. Number one, it honors God. Number two, it's worship before God. Every single time you give, that's why every single time we have a giving moment in our church, it's not a money moment, it's a worship moment. Every single time when Abel sacrificed the lamb, it was worship. When Abraham sacrificed before God, it was worship. Right, when the people in the desert sacrificed before God, it was worship. It said it went before God like a sweet aroma, it says in the New Testament. It's worship. And number three, it's faith. We're exercising faith every single time we give to God. We're saying, God, we're giving you the first and the best. Everything else, you're going to take care of it. I don't know how, but you're going to take care of it. I'm going to put you first, and I'm going to give you the best. It's the principle of first found all throughout Scripture. And the rest, you're going to take care of it. Some of us, we say we have faith, but we hold on to our money way more than we hold on to God. He's not first in this area in our life. Look what the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 11, verses 24 through 25. It says, one person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduty, but becomes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. I want to tell you today, when you give to God, God will take care of you. I want to tell you, every single time you release, where you say, you know what, it's not 10%. Some of us, we treat 10% like a check mark. We come in each and every single Sunday, we're like, we'll just give God 10%. Can, can I be honest? Some of you, I know you can give 20 and 30%. And we're just like, I hear God, 10%. And we keep the rest. You know what actually happens if you have this 10% law kind of mentality? It actually makes you a little bit greedier with the 90 that you stay with. You say, God, here's your 10%. Oh, God, there's 90 all for myself. I'm going to do whatever I want. Can I tell you that 90% still belongs to God? And you better steward it right because it's God's property. It's not your property. But God can bless you if you trust him. Look at Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Jesus says, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. God says, you give, he's going to give to you. Pressed down, shaken together, he will bless you. Every single time you put him first and you give him the best, God will bless you. God will bless you. God will bless you. He's, he's a God that takes care of his people. The Bible says that he'll supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. The American church has a very hard time. In fact, I, I was in Africa with people that had little in Uganda. I'm talking about basically poor in Uganda. And some of them are giving 80%. God, God, here's everything. The American church has a problem trusting God with our finances. In fact, can, can you believe this? All across the nation, this is a nationwide thing. All across the nation, in every single church, the average amount of people that give on a weekly basis is only 15 to 20% of the congregation. In this church, I'm gonna tell you the number, in this church, it's 20%. Thank God we're not at 15. But in this church, what does that mean? 20% of the people that give here sustain the entire church and everything we do around our city and around the world. 20% of the people that give on a consistent basis. So, so we just started thinking, imagine if all of America took it up to 100% of the people giving. Where would we be as a church around the world? Out of the 20% that give, they, they don't even consider tithing a starting point. Out of, the, out of the percentage that give, they're only giving 2.9%. Meaning there's a bunch of people that give weekly, but the ones that do give weekly, they're giving God the rest and the last. What would happen if all of us decided, God, we're going to put you first and best. And every single week, we're going to give generous to you. 10%, that's just a starting point. We look all throughout history, 10%, that's just a starting point. 
For me and Diana, we don't give God the, the last and the best. I was raised in a household with parents that I thank God that since I was little, they said, hey, you put God first in your finances. None of this belongs to you. In fact, the house you're sleeping on doesn't belong to you, <laughs> right? I had to do some things in my house to make sure I was honoring my mom and my dad, and they taught me the same way with God. When me and Diana got married, the first thing we do, every single time we get paid, every single week, the first thing we do is we give God the first and the best. He'll bless the rest. He'll take care of the rest. We give God the first and the best. God, thank you. We don't deserve any of this. If, if all of American churches went from 20% to 100% people giving, look at these statistics. This is what we would have. We would have an additional $165 billion for churches to use and to distribute. If all of us decided to give on a weekly basis, God, you're good. You're going to put your first and best. It says we would have $165 billion to use. How can you distribute that? If there was $165 billion for the churches to use all across America, well, $25 billion could relieve global hunger, starvation, and deaths from preventable diseases in five years. $12 billion, we could send it to eliminate uh, illiteracy in five years. $15 billion, actually, we could go and it could solve the world's water sanitation issues, specifically at places where the world, where 1 billion people today live on less than $1 a day. We should also, and we could also, send $1 billion to fully fund all overseas mission work, and $110 billion would still be left over for additional ministry expansion if 100% of the people said, we're going to put God first, and we're going to put God in our best. If it wasn't just the 20% carrying the church, but it was all 100%, imagine what we could do as a church. What would the church do around the world? Can I tell you with the 20%? that sustain this church, and I'm telling you this today, I'm not telling you this today because we need anything from you. I want to free you from that. We're doing fine as a church. We're doing good. In fact, we're doing better probably than ever before. We're doing better than ever before. I'm telling you, I don't have a problem saying that. I'm trying to help you put God first in your life, right? If all of us did this, imagine what we could do. This Saturday, we're going out with City Care. We're spending this Saturday alone $3,000 in our city. We're buying chairs. We're buying furniture. We're painting places. We're giving kids meals. For immigrants coming from other countries, we're giving them a whole basket full of groceries. I'm telling you, this Saturday, this Saturday we're blessing our entire city. That's just with 20% of the people giving. 20% of the people giving allowed us to have a place like Embrace House where survivors of human trafficking could find a home because 20% of the people decided to put God first and best. Come on, we're helping people get free from the demonic evil of human trafficking. Some of us, we walk in here and we enjoy the fruit of what 20% are doing. Some of us in here, we enjoy the lights, we enjoy the atmosphere, we enjoy the worship. But to be honest, it's only the 20% that have been sustaining it. Imagine if 100% of us did it, right? What can we do across this nation? What can we do across this globe if all of us said, God, you're not worthy of my last. You're not worthy of the rest. You're worthy of all my best. God, you're first in my life. You're first in my marriage. You're first in my family. You're first with my kids. You're first in my finances because everything that I have belongs to you. Everything that I have belongs to you. The book of Exodus, and I'll finish really quick. I know I went over time really quick. The book of Exodus says in Exodus chapter 13, it says this in the book of Exodus chapter 13, it says, every single time you sacrifice a lamb, tell your kids about why you're doing it so that they remember where God saved you from. Imagine a Jewish boy seeing his dad every single month grab a little lamb, grab the knife, kill it, sacrifice it. After month, after month, after month, and after year, after year, why, why would he kill the lamb? Why, why is he doing this? Finally, one day, after a few years, he decides to ask his dad, Dad, why do you do this every single year? And he says, son, it's, it's time that you know the whole truth. We used to be slaves in Egypt. And in Egypt, we didn't have anything. We were oppressed. We were less than, ostracized, treated as dirt. But God, by his mighty power, delivered us from Egypt and he brought us out of slavery and he made us landowners and he blessed us and he gave us a nation and because he sacrificed now we sacrifice and remember to him I heard this pastor share this story and he said it happened in his life every single week he would write a check and one day his son after a number of weeks said dad why, why do you why are you always giving this amount to the church 
You're always giving money to the church. And he said that he sat down his son and he said, son, it's time that you know the truth. Your dad used to be a very bad man, a sinful man. And I made a lot of mistakes and I made a lot of errors in my past. But God, by his mighty power, saved me, delivered me, cleaned me by his mercy, by his grace. I'm no longer who I used to be. Jesus died for me and set me free. And because of that, I can only give him my first and my best. With every eye closed all across this place, every eye closed, every head bowed, in the auditorium, in additional seating, I don't want nobody to move. I'm going to pray for a group of people and then we're going to do something afterwards. I think something extremely special. We're going to put this to practice. With every eye closed, with every head bowed, if you're in here today and you say, Alex, I don't have a relationship with God. He's not even first in my money. He, he's not first anywhere in my life. I want to live a blessed life. I want Jesus to walk with me all the days of my life. And, and maybe you're in here and you're saying, Alex, but I've messed up too much. I got sin. I got guilt and I got shame in my life. Maybe you're in additional seating or you're sitting in here today and you're saying, Alex, I, I've done wrong. The Bible says that all of us are sinners. Every single one of us, we've sinned. Sin separates us from God, but God loved us so much, he gave his first and he gave his best for you and for me. Jesus came and he died for all of humanity. The Bible says that Jesus, he went up on the cross and he took all of our sins. He died, he went into a grave. After three days in the grave, Jesus resurrected. He's alive today. And he's offering forgiveness. He's offering a brand new beginning and a brand new start. With every eye closed, with every head bowed, come on, as the whole church is praying. As the whole church is praying. In a moment of privacy and concentration. If you're in here today and you say, Alex, I want to put God first in my life. More than in my finances, more than in my marriage. I want to put him first in my life. He deserves the first in my life. He deserves my heart. If you're in here, you're saying, I'm a sinner. I need forgiveness. I've been carrying around guilt and shame for way too long for my mistakes. You don't need to carry that. Jesus carried that for you. Come on, it's the whole church praying. Nobody looking around. I'm going to count to three. If you're in here, you say, Alex, I need Jesus. I want you to raise your hand right where you're at. I want you to raise your hand as high as you can. Hold it up for just a few seconds. Nobody looking around. I'm just going to see you where you're at. I'll acknowledge your hand and then you can put it right back down. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to give you a mic. None of that. Every eye closed. Come on, the whole church praying in the auditorium and in additional seating. Hold it up just for a few seconds. I'm going to see you. And I believe more importantly, God has seen you. Hands are already going up. If that's you at the count of three, raise your hand. One, two, three. Raise your hand all across, all across. I see you. 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 God bless 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 you. Amazing. An additional seating. We've got pastors over there as well. Hands raised all over this place. Amazing. Father, we thank you. Thank you for all these hands. Pray that you seal this moment with your Holy Spirit. All of us, I want you to repeat this prayer after me. Say, Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this opportunity. I admit that I'm a sinner and that my sin separates me from you. Jesus, I believe you're the son of God, that you died for my sins. And on the third day, you were raised again. Come into my life. Be my Lord and be my Savior. In Jesus' name. Amen, amen, and amen. Come on, can we give them a big, big hand?